This is Alex Pearson. Pretty sure everything I've said over the past 20 minutes answered that question, but I will do it one more time just for the Canadian press. Yeah, if it's not too inconvenient. Maybe just answer the question and we wouldn't ask. Good morning to you, Alex Pearson with you. It is Monday, March 6th. Pretty sure I know what your weekend was like because it was luckily uh, like mine. The big dig. That storm delivered. It was a good one. I'll uh, give Mr. Fernell props for that one. I've uh, I've seen thunder, thunder snow before, just not like that. It was like a full-on thunderstorm, so it was a pretty good little storm, packed a bit of a punch, and uh, the next day not so much of a, well, it was actually a bigger punch. That was the hardest shoveling I've ever done. Normally, I get out there and just get it done. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. I did like a teeny tiny little path because the uh, snow blower I have that everyone laughs at, it just couldn't do it. it. It can't do this job. So I was hoping it would melt, and then that didn't happen. It just got heavier. So I uh, did the bare minimum, and I um, my hubby's my hubby's going to return from two weeks in South Africa today. It's been summer there. He's been golfing for two weeks, and I've tried to explain to him how buried the car is, but uh, I'm not sure he understands. I'm not sure I care. <laughs> two weeks golfing in the sun? Dig her out yourself. So there you go. We're going to talk about that because I am i don't understand why um, snow removal in this city is so difficult in 2023. I don't understand. Is it like snow new in this country? We'll dive into that. But we need to dig into uh, the big issues, certainly that the prime minister hopes will not bury him again today. And I'm not going to talk about the scandal itself. I mean, there's going to be more stuff coming coming out. It's just some of the stuff I don't like that's happening during this and some of the tactics we're seeing being used to make this, you know, story go away. And of course, it's to shoot the messenger. Kill the story, shoot the messenger. Kill the story, shoot the messenger. And it's clear that the uh, biggest offenders of disinformation are going to just destroy whatever they can to cover their butts. And the prime minister was irritated on Friday. He was irritated because after 20 minutes of getting the same question about Chinese interference, he made, you know, very clear to the Canadian press by belittling the reporter, well, I guess I'll answer your question. Uh, take a listen. Pretty sure everything I've said over the past 20 minutes answered that question, but I will do it one more time just for the Canadian press. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? Well, I'll just answer it for the Canadian press. Like, did you pat her on the head too? I mean, give me a break. Maybe if you'd answer the question in the first 20 minutes, she wouldn't have to ask. Like, you're not doing the reporters a favor, any politician. You're not doing anybody a favor not answering the question, because then we'll just ask again and again and again and again, because all you do is give us the same spin in a different package. But nonetheless, I mean, the question didn't have to be repeatedly asked. Just get a bloody answer, and he refuses to give it which is why we've seen Trudeau in this particular scandal reducing the allegations against him into fake news, the same very kinds of conspiracies that he and other politicians keep telling us are undermining our democracies. It is the politicians who are the greatest offenders of doing this. The saying goes, how do you know a politician's lying? Their lips are moving. Politicians are the biggest producers of disinformation and spin on the planet. They are no one to lecture anybody about what's fact and fiction when it comes to news that they don't agree with. 
Former Mayor Miller, David Miller, is just the latest to weigh in on this little scandal over the weekend. He took to Twitter stating that, well, it makes no sense that China wanted the liberals reelected. It was the conservatives who signed all these trade deals with China. If anything, they'd want to help conservatives stay in power. I mean, honestly, I got to be honest, the thread was just a little mind numbing. I was like, uh, I'm, and I'm not going to reeducate Mr. Miller on when things really started to sour with China. I mean, but it was his next comment that I took issue with. And, and I wasn't alone. He said, quote, it's a big smear. It would be very helpful for some reporters and columnists to dig fast facts, ask hard questions, think these issues through instead of just accepting CSIS leaks like they did in the Arar affair. It would be really helpful for some reporters and columnists just to dig. Basic reporting here. Okay. So he's also chalking this up to fake news. Well, the media did its digging. Years of it. Which is why this ticked me off so much. Because I've been talking to Sam Cooper about this issue for like six or seven years. Which is why then Sam Cooper took to Twitter to lay out the facts for Mr. Miller you know, who was accusing him of basically creating smears. And Cooper explained his reporting on China and the antics of the United Front started a decade ago when he started uncovering the money laundering, the fentanyl, the organized crime, you know, and how it flooded across B.C. through the rest of uh, the GTA and all the politicians associated with it. It's not like he just came up with this and put it out because some guy at CSIS said, hey, by the way, it's all laid out in his book, Willful Blindness. And the Globe and Mail has confirmed it. So there is no smear. There's no conspiracy here. And nothing about what we've learned really over the last two weeks is unknown. It's just been confirmed so that we can no longer ignore it. That Mr. Miller and other politicians aren't familiar with the tactics of the United Front doesn't make it the reporter's problem that they uncovered it. It just makes the politicians a problem because they're either being used as pawns to undermine our democracy or they're just willing players. And that's not what I'm suggesting Miller is in, in this case. But his comments certainly play into what China wants, which is to further muddy the waters. But he and other politicians, including our prime minister don't really seem to care about the collateral damage that they do themselves calling the media liars to cover the lies that they are caught in. And there was huge outrage when Donald Trump did this to the media. Where's that outrage now when the prime minister's doing it right here? Now, I get that, that there's a mistrust in the mainstream media. I get that, and that's on us to repair. But those ringing the alarm bells over the threat of disinformation are the same people who create it. And the last people who have the right to tell us what's fact and fiction. If everyone's a liar, other than the proved liars of politics, who are we supposed to trust? And the other thought that came into my mind this weekend is, don't forget Bill 11, C11, that's about to come law. And you're saying, well, what's that? Well, that's the censorship bill, you know changing streaming services and what gets online and what's considered hate. The government's going to decide all that stuff. The government right now calling all of this news that you're hearing disinformation, they're going to be the ones who then decide, hmm, does Robert Fife's story get top placement in our algorithms? Sam Cooper? What about that mouthy chick, Alex Pearson? Maybe we'll just stop their algorithms. I mean, they're going to have their hand in choosing what you see, what you read, what the content is. And I look at these people and I say, let me get this straight. You, the creators of disinformation, are going to be the people that tell us 
what information we can use and consume and decide for ourselves. Because that is, trust me, if, if they had that legislation in now, I, I bet no one would know about this because they will suppress the conversation. There's nothing more than a politician wants than to have control of what we consume. And, and so that bill will pass. But, you know, just think if it were in, fa in, in fact place, you know, in, in place now. What would we know about this? Maybe, maybe Robert Fife's story would play, I don't know, way lower in the algorithms. You wouldn't see it. And Sam Cooper, well, we just won't play his stories at all. That, that's just the direction we are headed. So it really irritates me that we're now having to listen to politicians, the same politicians who tell us how important the media is and then shell out all this money to bail out the media, which, by the way, as a broadcaster, we don't get that here. Okay? We get lumped into it. We don't get it. I don't get it. My company doesn't get it. My colleagues don't get it. But we get smeared by it. It's about trust, and they are not helping. By the way, Parliament getting back to business today. So we will see where this uh, issue goes. It's going to stick around. It's not going away. The man actually who did the report, uh, Morris Rosenberg, who has, of course, been a bit of, um, of a lightning rod because he was running the Trudeau Foundation during the period of time when a lot of questions were being asked. But on, in an interview over the weekend, he said, yes, an inquiry would be helpful. Right? So now that, now that guy is weighing in. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk with a Chinese-Canadian. He'll tell us, what does the United Front do to them? And my question is, can we reverse this? This is Alex Pearson, Toronto's News. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. We know that Chinese-Canadian parliamentarians and Chinese Canadians in general are targets, greater targets for interference by China uh, than others. We get updated regularly on uh, how we can make sure uh, that our integrity and that the work uh, that Canadians do to uh, serve in politics uh, is done uh, with, uh, with full protections. So the Prime Minister acknowledging uh, the biggest target of Chinese interference are Chinese Canadians themselves, which begs the question, then why wouldn't you act sooner? Because they've been raising concerns for a long, long time and no one has been listening. And uh, we've talked about the Chinese police stations, those that are in BC, but they're here in the GTA, at least three of them in Toronto, which apparently have been disrupted, but uh, I haven't heard much about it uh, since we heard that the RCMP was looking into them. But uh, this is just one of the many tools that use, uh, is used by the United Front. This is China's secret weapon. And part of their job is to make sure that Chinese Canadians don't criticize the motherland, that they go out and vote for the right party that will be good to the motherland. And their tactics can involve, you know, very subliminal bullying or outright bullying, you know, and they'll use family back in China as their weapon of control. So how deep does it go? And can these communities ever be de-influenced? Chuck Kwan is past chair of Toronto Association for Democracy in China. He joins us now. Great to have you back, Chuck. Good morning, Alex. Let's um, talk a little bit, because I don't think it's been a big part of the conversation. I mean, we hear the politicians kind of allude to, well, Chinese Canadians are affected most. But, but really, um, it is the Chinese Canadians who do feel this most. What are some of the tactics that you have gone through and others that you know? Well, you're quite right. We've been 
victimized by this information, and also um, there is so so far, we we know that there are only very very few independent Chinese language press around. So, a lot of information we get fed uh, are distorted in a sense, uh, and that might affect many of how we think about uh, China or Canada. Um, you know, I I I think the 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 thing about um disinformation is it's very hard to catch and mm-hmm. and in a sense you know is something that we always always take seriously but in a more serious point uh, you know we we get so-called quote unquote physical harassment uh you know many people who are critics of china have been harassed by the chinese consulate or proxies uh, to the chinese government you know, innocuous phone call in the middle of the night, uh, saying we know who you are, uh, or a phone call in the middle of the day and saying, oh, "How are your parents doing?" Meaning your parents back home in China uh, might be harassed by us if you don't behave. So these are many. We're we're confronted with these sort of harassment in every front. Yeah, and I've and I've heard reports it can get as bad as uh, having someone taken here from Canada and sent back to China, where uh, I assume they are jailed or whatever happens. But there have been people who have actually been sent back to be dealt with by the Chinese government. It is a quite serious. It hasn't been taken seriously. So now that we're into this chapter, Chuck, where we've been talking about this now for the last couple of weeks, it's finally right. into the open um, and being discussed. Are we having the right conversation? Are you okay with what you're hearing from those in charge or supposed to be in charge? I think we are barking up the wrong tree. Uh, I don't think, I, I believe that there has been a fairly fair election process. So mm-hmm. the fairness of the election or the, you know, the legality of it is not the issue. The issue is the nefarious interference China has been practicing on us uh, the Chinese Canadian community for more than 15 years. I would say going back to 30 years, but certainly uh, has increased uh, in pro- proportionally very badly over the last 10, 15 years. We've seen it coming. Uh, so the CSIS report is nothing new to us uh, mm-hmm. because we, we speak the language, we know the culture, we know the political uh, uh, issues and topics that uh, Chinese Canadians deal with. And, and we have been watching all these uh, so-called 11 uh, alleged candidates being in, in, influenced by the Chinese government. Uh, you know, we can pretty much guess who they are. So in that sense, uh, uh, you're right. Uh, we're, it's nothing new. Um, what I wanted to say was that I think we need to deal not so much with the crime that may or may not have happened. We need to do some crime prevention, meaning that... Yeah. Just because a crime hasn't been committed doesn't mean that you don't put police on the streets to patrol the neighborhood. And that's a thing. Yeah, it's I, very difficult, though, as you know, because it can be just a simple phone call like, how's your family back? I mean, how do you go exactly. after that? It's a very nuanced and subliminal kind of crime. And so I'm not sure how we are going to address it. I mean, I would think that a lot of it is educating. Um, I, yeah, I don't know how to stop this, to be honest, because even if you I, re-educate and teach te- people in in um, you know the Chinese communities, you're OK, we've got your back. They're not going to believe it, Chuck, because they've been right. left to to protect themselves for so long. Why should they have any faith in the government? government dealing with it now. Right. For many years, we've been telling RCMP and the local police, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, we got a phone call, well, we got harassed. 
of course, you know, nothing got done because it's not a crime to get a phone call in the middle of the night. And there's no proof that this was a harassment phone call. Um, I, I, I believe that, uh, that we need to tackle this um, uh, as a deterrent. Um, when, when I'm talking about deterrent, I meant the two things we can do concretely. One mm-hmm. is to establish the foreign agent registry like Australia done, has done and like the, what the U.S. has done. Uh, a second one is have a, a central phone line that we've been urging RCMP for a long time to have. It's a specifically phone call, phone line, that national phone line that you can call in to speak to somebody who might, uh, who sh- could speak in your language and to mm-hmm. report on the crime. Now, these two are not, uh, you know, panacea for, for everything, because, uh, but at least they can be deterrent. At least they would, would tell the Chinese government and its proxies that we're watching you, so behave. You know, don't, yeah. you know, uh, of course, you, nothing is 100%. So that's nothing we can, as you said, you're quite right, that is something that's very hard to prevent. Yeah, I mean, the United Front is uh, is the organization uh, under the Chinese government, and they, they see this uh, part of their organization as their secret weapon, uh, and that is how... You know, um, I guess uh, successful it's been. I mean, the Australian uh, prime minister um, said, you know, he's watched Canada and said, you you have to put as much, you know, um, sunlight on this and get the word out. You have to shove this in China's face so that they know that they cannot bully you. And yet we've not even got a prime minister who can admit that uh, really this has been a problem up until the last uh, couple of days he's been able to. But do you believe the prime minister is serious about this? Uh, Do you give um, a lot of stock to what you're hearing? I don't know how much of that is uh, partisan posturing and, and how much of it is cover-up. I, I certainly um, hope that uh, for whatever reason that we will, Canadians and not just the Prime Minister, will wake up to the fact that we have a problem in our hands. I, I, I like to use the iceberg analogy. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're looking for iceberg. Okay, we found the tip of the iceberg, but what we don't haven't, cannot see is the 90% of the iceberg that's submerged under the water. And this has been forming and formulating for, I would say, at least 15 years. So China has been playing a long game, a very soft game. Uh, you know, you cannot catch them red-handed doing anything illegal. But what they're doing um, is, is detrimental to the civil society that we have in Canada here. Yeah, and they're also a big part of the disinformation that we get and bot farms and all the rest of it. In, in your mind, Chuck, um, can any of this be reversed? It, certainly in the Chinese-Canadian, will they ever trust that they're safe here? I think they they will. They will. I mean, it just has to be demonstrated, that, you know, again and again that we care and we're not just ignoring you because you're just one minor ethnic group that uh, we don't want to deal with. Uh, I think that's the attitude that our government has to project not just platitudes about well, multiculturalism and you know song and dancing, but, but seriously deal with the concerns that we have. Yeah. Nonetheless, stay tuned on this conversation. Yeah. Uh, we are and just stop using the racism as a shield. Yeah, that does not help. I mean, the bottom line is these people have been asking for help, and, and if they're not going to get it, um, you know, there's other uh, issues yeah. at play. Appreciate your time, Chuck. No problem. That's uh, Chuck Kwan. He's past chair of Toronto Association for Democracy in China. He is one of uh, many of these groups that have been begging for help, begging 
And they put their necks out on the line to get the help. They speak out. And the fact that they do speak out makes them a target. Anybody who reports on any of this stuff becomes a target. Trust me, I get my share of emails. I don't care, but, you know, it's not going to stop me from talking. But they're, um, you know, uh, they can be very aggressive. You are listening to Alex Pearson, Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Here we are in 2023 in, uh, where are we, March? Yeah, March. And we have not been hearing a lot about gang shootings and homicides. Certainly hearing a lot about violence and stabbings. We've heard about them. We almost hear those every single day. But there has been this marked drop in gang shootings. However, there's a big spike in major crimes. We've got violent crimes with uh, armed carjackings, armed robbery at pharmacies and homes, things like that. And we have seen a lot of gun crime in high schools. So... Is it that gang violence is down? Is it evolving? Either which way, Louis Marsh is a zero gun violence movement. You wanted to talk about this, Louis, because is I don't know if this is a good news story or if it's a what's going on story. You know what, Alex? Uh, if there's shootings that are taking place, it's going to be on the front page of the, the, the newspapers, lead stories on the news. And it's very depressing because it, you know, it contributes to the level of fear and despair in the city. So when I speak, normally I'm the bringer of bad news. Mm-hmm. So the gun violence numbers have increased, the homicides have increased compared to this time last year. And finally, I get a chance to say something positive. Yeah. <laughs> and it's difficult yeah. Once in a while, out. it's like, can, can I just note the positive news? So it is, it is good, but why? I mean, normally I think... Um, and I'm kind of, it's not like based on a, a study. You see a ton more gang crime in the summer just because it's not, it's not as awful to go out in, this, in the winter. But we, so we've seen this dip. But what are you attributing it to? What's going on in your mind? Well, today's what? March the 6th. Yeah. Compared to this time last year, Alex, we had uh, 66 shootings reported by the Toronto Police Services. This by year March? we only had 30. By March, we had 66 last year. This year, we've only had 30. That's a decline of 55% of shootings. Mm -hmm. Homicides last year, we had 13, right? Uh, People shot and killed due to gun violence last year. This year, we've had zero. That's a 100% reduction. And the question here is, you know, what what has changed? Well, what has caused a significant reduction? And uh, it's a good question. And the more I look at it and the more I speak to people involved, uh, clearly the work at the Board of Security, RCMP, mm-hmm. major uh, gun confiscations. Because remember that nearly yeah. 90% of guns used in uh, criminal activities, illegal guns coming across the border. So they've stepped up their game. Uh, and they're, rec- they're, they're confiscating record numbers of guns. So gun flow into the communities has been reduced. Uh, every time you turn on the news, there's a big drug bust. So yeah. drugs and guns coming into the communities has been significantly been reduced. That's one of the major factors. There's other factors too, right? Including, uh, I think there's a more coordinated effort between the feds and the city. I'm not sure about the province yet, but they're talking to each other and they're sharing information. And they're planning and plotting, programming funding uh, so that it can have an impact. We've seen a lot of investments now in communities. Remember we spoke about, yeah. uh, it's not the 
quantity of programs, it's the quality of programs. Yeah. What what we're seeing right now is <laughs> not what we're seeing now is a lot of community programs led by the community, where the community is up front. Okay, so stop, because um, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to go through with you. Because we, ha- we have seen violence. There's no question about it. We're seeing more school violence. I mean, when you see kids showing up in a car, pulling out a gun, doing a drive-by, we have seen a lot of that stuff. And we have seen a lot of violence in carjackings and, and obviously theft of cars, which is a big, big business. Um, and, and so I don't know if there's an evolving, if it's, I, I don't know what's going on. I do think you, you point out some important things because we've had a couple of these big projects that have taken a bunch of drugs and guns off the street. That is a good thing. But I just want to know, like, is it that they're changing their tactics? And maybe my concern, Louis, is that maybe some of these, um, these incidents that we hear in the pharmacies and the carjackings where they use younger kids to do the dirty work of, of some of the older, um, gang members, and, and maybe that's a, a difference in, in, in technique. And then and then after, I want to talk about this, and then I'll jump into the other community investments because I want to get a good idea of what these are. But but is it that the crime is evolving? That's definitely uh, a reaction to, uh, yes, it is evolving. Basically, it is evolving. Uh, the carjackings, the pharmacy robberies, the shootings in schools, and that yeah. can be attributed, and you spoke about the age of the, the, the people. A lot of the older people that have been involved in criminal activities have been taken off the street. They've been arrested, right? So the young ones now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say are running the street because I'm getting into a lot of trouble if I say that. Uh, mm-hmm. But they also realize that there's money to be had. And also, as a young person, the Young Offenders Act is going to protect you, right? So it is shifting, it is evolving, and people find it worse, more lucrative to do their criminal activity or their business. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, if you can't go and do the crime, you recruit the younger guys and gals, and, and they do the dirty work, and they take the hit, and, and you know, hopeful, I guess, that they won't go to jail, keeps the um, the, the market going. Um, you know, I remember talking to a lot of really young kids in, in really crime-filled areas about their big fear when they turned 11 and 12, and their big fear was being able to get to school and home before they were recruited, or the, you know, they're all this fear of, of what would happen. Could they go on and get their life, or would they be somehow recruited into the gangs, and they didn't want to be. Now, when you say the community investment, because this is this is a piece that's been missing for so long, since back in the summer of the gun, when we got all the promises that we would see all this money flow into the communities with mentorship programs and community centers. So what money is now flowing in? How quickly is it flowing in? And is it actually being earmarked for programs or bureaucracy? <laughs> that's a lot of questions there. <laughs> Alex. Yes. I, I am seeing money flowing now into communities. I yeah. see Marco uh, from uh, the public Mendicino, safety, yeah. Minister of Public Safety. Yeah. Right, so he was just in Halifax last week. I think he put uh, three point something million or five point something million into community investment. He was mm-hmm. in Toronto at uh, Malvern Community Center putting money into communities. Uh, that money has a lot of strings attached. They get access to it. It has to go through maybe like a municipal government or something like that, right? And then it's between them. So when you mention bureaucracy, I sort of chuckle because sometimes that delay and that uh, investment directly where it's supposed to go, uh, sometimes you don't see it for years, right? Uh, but I was at an event uh, last week uh, put on by community investing, community healing project, where you had young people receiving money from the city to do healing 
her trauma with young people, but it was led by young people, right? So they have a better way of connecting with the young people in the communities. We see money going towards, towards peace, and we see a youth violence prevention grant. So we're beginning to see money now actually going into the communities, but the big major difference here is the communities are leading the investment. The money is going to the community, and the community is taking the lead with, of course, partnerships with, with, with government, right? But we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, Where it's driven by the, 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 yeah, grassroots instead of the, the, the pointy heads in Ottawa. Okay. So look, we need these programs. They're so long overdue, but it's going to, it's not an overnight fix, Louis. I mean, and we still need to get a mayor in place, which I know that you uh, and others will play an active role in, in finding, you know, the person. Um, but it's got to be a balance, though, policing and investment in communities, something that had we done 20 years ago or 15 years ago or all the years that we were promised this. Stuff, it's hard to imagine what the city might look like rather than what it does look like. Well, we've got a major problem with the city, uh, with the budget itself. And we're hoping that the new mayor takes a look at it. Like normally the police budget increases 1% per year, right, uh, over the last eight years, 1% increase, standard then all of a sudden we see 4.3% increase this year. Like, like, why would you do that when there's all this outcry for community support? So, but he was able to get away with it because he had the superpowers, right, bestowed on him, right? So there has to be a balance. So what we've asked for is that a review of that policing increase and make sure that it's redirected into community. And uh, we're waiting to see what the new mayor will have to say about that. Yeah, that, that's a long way down the road. And, and, the, and by the way, Louis, the police say that too. I mean, I talk to John um, Anderson all the time from Toronto Police Association. They, they say it's not just a police approach. It's got to be fully encompassed. You know, you can't, can't just have a one-pronged approach. So, so it, it is, you know, hopefully um, we're starting to see the turnaround. Look, let's talk in we'll, – we'll talk before three months is up. But I want it, I want it, I want you to not send me a note saying, oh, God, here we go with the gang shooting. So the next time I hear from you, hopefully you can say, look, we got another three months, Alex, and then we, maybe we're on to the right thing. But uh, we'll take it when we can get it, right, Louis, the good news? Yeah, there's something changing. We just got yeah. to be clear about what's changing and amplify it to encourage that activity, that investment to continue. Uh, that's what we need to do now. We need to be uh, focused on what's really working, what's having an impact and multiply those efforts. And the ones that are not working, let's move them aside. But that comes from leadership, that comes from priority setting, that comes from funding investments and stuff. And I'm hoping that the new leadership at City Hall will understand the, 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 this perspective. It would be nice. By the time before I die, it'd be nice. All right, Louis, we will talk again. Appreciate it. Take care of you. You too, Alex. By the way, did you get your place shoveled? Uh, I had help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. I, I needed it too, so uh, so I, yeah, it. Right. I, 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 I got help. I got help from <laughs> other people in the family, but I, I got done. And uh, of course, as soon as we finished, the plow came and <laughs> just plowed the snow back up. So I'm saying to myself, maybe we should take a look at that too. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, trust me, I think everybody in the city is saying that today. But yeah, you, you share that with a, mon- a bunch of us. Uh, Louis, Louis, we'll talk to you again. Thank you. You take care of yourself. Thanks again for having me. Louis March is uh, with founder of the Zero Gun Violence Movement. So, yeah, he's saying, look, let's figure this out. Is something working or is it just evolving? And I don't know if we know what the answer is yet.